of 10, and I talked about God's part. If you're going to have a great year in 2014, you've got to believe that God wants to do His part, and God wants to bless you. We talked about the blessing of God. God's blessing is upon those who believe, those who trust Him. Blessings have, in the Bible, do at times contain the concept of material stuff, but I've got to tell you, it goes way beyond that. The greatest blessings that a believer can ever have and uh, JBQ practice is taking place right now, according to my iPad. But the greatest blessing that a believer can have is the love of God and the joy and the peace that no matter what I'm walking through, He is with me. Amen? So we talked about the blessing of God, and we talked about He's our helper in our time of trouble. And the fact is, the great promise of Scripture is that you will have trouble, and God is our helper. So I talked about God's part. But this morning I want to talk to you about my part and your part, our part. Everyone say God's part. Everyone say my part. So there's God's part and there's my part in this Christian journey. And, and the fact is today, there is a responsibility that we have as believers to do our part in order to live the life that God has called us to. I've learned some things over the years. I've learned a few things. I'm, I'm actually on my little, on my cell phone, I'm keeping a list. I'm, I'm doing the top 50 things that I've learned in 50 years. 50 years. I just turned 50 years old last year. I'm still hanging on to 50 as long as I can. <laughs> I'm going to hang on to 50 as long as I can. But I've learned a few things over 50 years. But some of the things I have learned just recently. One of the things that I learned is that if you travel to a really cold place, you only have to bring one change of clothes. <laughs> we were in New York last week. It was the week before. It was cold. Everyone say cold. How cold was it? It was just too cold. It was 25 degrees or below. below, Not below 25, but it was 25, 20 degrees, something like that. And uh, I realized that I only needed to bring one pair of pants and uh, one sweatshirt and one jacket and a couple undies. You know, that was it. One pair of shoes because that's all I wore. I was there for seven days. I wore the same outfit every single day. I didn't need anything else. I had extra long johns. I had, I had, you know, heavy, other heavy stuff, sweats, and that. I never even wore them. Never even took them out. Shirts, never even pressed, nice press shirts, never even put them on. Didn't need to. I only needed one pair of clothes. That's all I had, one change of clothes. You know, the fact is sometimes in life we travel way too heavy. If you're going to live your best life in 2014, you're going to have to learn how to travel a little lighter. You have to learn how to travel a little lighter. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And can you stand with me this morning in honor of reading the Word of God? Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read verses number 1 and 2. I do want to mention next Sunday, if you've never followed the Lord in water baptism, right here, right in this auditorium, we're going to do something for the very first time. Uh, this church was built originally as a Methodist church, and they do baptism a little differently than we do. We believe in baptism by immersion, and, uh, and so this church was built without a baptismal tank. So we went out, we bought our own baptismal tank, and it's really going to be cool, I think. <laughs> Let's see. It's got country line. I, think it's a, I actually think it's a horse trough feeds animals, but it's brand new. It's never fed a horse before, a cow before, and we're going to bring it up in here Get water on the brain and some people that need to be baptized. Amen? All right. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse number 1. And the Bible says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off, let us lay aside, let us cast off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles 
or ensnares ensnares us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes. Everyone say, fixing our eyes. One translation says, looking unto Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's my one big idea today. Here's the one thing that I want you to hear this morning. Run the race of your life to win. Run the race of your life to win. Let's pray. Lord, You've been so kind to us. You've been so gracious. Your presence has been evident in our midst as we've worshipped You. We've drawn near to You. And You've always, always have drawn near to us. And we thank You for that today. I thank You, Lord, for the reading of the Word, for the reading of Scriptures that brings life. And Jesus, You are that Word of life. And I pray that You'll take my words and turn them into Your words in the heart and the ears of the hearer. God, I pray Your blessing upon this message today. I need Your help and I need Your grace one more time. In Jesus' wonderful name, Amen. You may be seated. The background of our text this morning is this. Paul, or a writer, and I believe it's Paul, but a writer of Scripture is is talking to a group of believers who are in Rome. These are Jewish followers of Yahweh, and life has been challenging. Life has been difficult. There have been attacks on their faith. As a matter of fact, in this time, in this generation, it, it it wasn't a badge of honor. There wasn't a badge of honor to be a Christ follower. As a matter of fact, if you were a Christ follower, you were an outcast, you were castigated, you were discriminated against, you might even be martyred for your faith. So the Jewish believers in Rome were really, really discouraged. And and Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, came alongside of them to do two things. One, to encourage them in their journey. And not to lose hope or faith in the supremacy and the person of Jesus Christ. You see, this book tells us, describes to us, it talks about this person of Christ who is our source, who is our Savior, who is our strength. And the writer of Hebrews takes them on a journey through the Old Testament and reveals the goodness of God as He's given to us His Son, Jesus. And so the, these, these children of God were living in a city that was very familiar to athletic games. As a matter of fact, the city of Rome has a huge coliseum. I was really honored last year as our... This wonderful church, our church, city church, sent my wife and I on, a, on an anniversary trip. They sent us to Europe last year, and, and I got to go to Rome. I can't believe I got to go to Rome and to see the Colosseum. It was amazing. I, I couldn't believe the architectural. I mean, it was just, it was one of those things that's still considered one of the great seven architectural wonders of the world. And, and in the backdrop of this scripture, in the backdrop of these people's lives, stood this great city. Athletic contests and, and military prowess was the greatness of the nation of Rome. They were known for their military power and their military greatness. They were the United States of, of America and their generation. And one of the ways that they trained their men, one of the ways they trained their men was through athletic competition. They were phenomenal. They were, they were amazing. They, they were like the modern athletes of today. I, I, I live in a neighborhood. There's a lady that lives four di- doors down from me. She's from Jamaica. She's of Jamaica descent. And she ran in the Olympics in like the 200 meter or the 100 meter several years ago. And I remember when I first met her, I, mean, I was like, wow, 
That lady, you could tell I would not want to tangle with her. I would not want to meet her in a dark alley because she could beat me up. And as she was running, man, you could just tell she had, she had worked diligently. She had worked diligently at being a world-class athlete. In a couple of years, uh, we're going to have the, the World Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. This year, actually, in 2014, we're going to have the Winter Olympics in Seoul, Korea. And the whole world is going to be focused on these incredible athletes. See, these athletes know something, that they're going to be great if they're going to excel, if they're going to win the race, there's some things that they're just not going to be able to do. They've made some choices about their life, about the way that they live, the kinds of things that they put in their body, the kinds of things that they do. And Paul, many times in Scripture, equates this Christian walk with some kind of athletic event. One place Paul talks about, I fight like a boxer. I don't beat aimlessly. When I hit something, I want to hit it square on. You know, when a boxer boxes, he, he, just, he doesn't want to waste a bunch of punches. I mean, if you've watched box, boxing and all, you know that one of the ways they can tell who won a round is by how many times the one person hit the other person. They don't want to waste their punch because every punch weakens their enemy. He, he equates the Christian life like a boxer. He also equates it to racing or to running. I run the race as one who wants to win the prize. I don't run aimlessly. I don't just get up every day and just exist and wonder what's going to happen next. I'm intentional about my life. In this backdrop, in this text that we just read, Paul previously, or the writer of Hebrews, and notice I say Paul because I'm bent towards believing that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. But whoever wrote this scripture talks about a group of believers, talks about God followers, people who love God in previous generations, and, and some of the things that they did, some of the exploits that they did, some of the things that they accomplished. And as I begin to read these scriptures again, I begin to think, wow, he did some incredible things. He did some incredible things. She did some incredible things. But then I realized that these people were just like you and me. They were prone to become distracted, prone to distraction. You see, here's the deal today. God has created you for mission. God has created you for purpose. God has created you to finish the race of your life. God wants you to finish strong. The challenge is, very few people finish strong. The saddest thing for me as a pastor, and I got it to, it is sad, and I've seen it many, many times over the years. I've seen people who've come into the faith and who've experienced the love and the forgiveness of God. I've seen them get distracted and pulled away for whatever reason. I've seen them fall away. I've seen their lives as they've rejected the truth that they once known. You know, on Facebook, you can friend people, but you know you can also defriend people. <laughs> and over the years, I've had people that have defriended me. Hey, I'm a pretty nice guy. I'm not even controversial on Facebook. I just put a few verses up and, you know, I put a scripture verse up or I put a picture of my family or some saying, some encouraging saying, but I've had people that have defriended me. And I've always wondered what's happening in their life. And generally, probably, some of the people that I know, they've either gotten embittered at me, they've got mad at God, they've walked away from the faith, and they don't want to see when they pop open Facebook the first thing in the morning a scripture verse looking them right in the face. You see, finishing the race, running the race that God has called you and I to, that's our mission. Living the life that God has called you and I to today. I want to ask you a question. What would God say is presently keeping you from running your race effectively? 
What would you say God would say? Not what would you say. What would God say is presently keeping you from running your race Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. There's three things that I want to talk to you about this one. I want to talk to you about, in order to run the race, you've got to throw off distractions. Everyone say, throw off distractions. That's my part. The second thing is, I've got to run my own race. And the third thing is, I've got to keep my focus on Jesus. I want to look at verse number 1 here of Hebrews chapter 12. First thing I want to talk about is getting rid of any unnecessary weight in your life. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings, I want to say clings, to us so closely. Getting it off weights, distractions, hindrances. The first part of this verse, he talks about this concept of, of hindrances, or some translations use the word weight. It's not even necessarily sinful activity. It's just things that are enemies of the best in your life. You see, you, you have to make choices in life. You've got to make choices about the, way you, the kinds of foods that you eat. You know, I've thought about this many times. It's easy for preachers to talk about, you know, the big ones. Sex and drugs and, and alcohol abuse and murder. It's easy to talk about the big ones. But what about the small things? What about the hidden things of the heart? What about lust? What about anger? What about lying? What about manipulation? What about not managing our money as good stewards? What about not taking care of this thing called the temple, our body, in which God's Spirit dwells? You know, I grew up and we never, never talked about the body. And we talked about doing more. We talked about staying away from the things of the world, which are all correct and right. But the fact is that God is dealing with the internal matters of the heart. It's easy to see those things out there, but what about our own heart? You see, getting rid of things... I mean, there are weights, there are distractions in your life that are, that are good. I mean, entertainment can be good. It can be good. But when it's taken to an excess, it becomes an extraction, a distraction in your life. Food. You've got to have food to live. But we've made food an idol in our nation. Food can become a distraction in your life. There's so many areas of our life that they can be good, but they can ultimately become a big distraction in you running the race that God has called you to run. Paul the Apostle said it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He said, listen, all things are permissible for me. All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. All things. Uh, there are a lot of good things that you can do in your life, but you have to make choices about what's the best thing for you to do in your life. James chapter 5, the writer talks about men, talks about men of prayer. He's talking about people of faith. He's talking about having your needs met spiritually. And he said, Elijah was a human, was a man just like you. In other words, Elijah had same problems, same temptations, same challenges. As a matter of fact, there's a story after Elijah has a great victory with God. He calls fire down on the prophets of Baal. Mount Carmel is consumed. The sacrifice is burnt up. It's an amazing miracle. It's one of the great preaching stories of the Bible. 
just a day or two days later, there's a queen by the name of Jezebel. She's wicked. She hates Elijah. And she says, Elijah, I'm going to take your head off. And immediately fear paralyzes him. And he runs for his life. And he even comes to the place where he is despondent about the very day he was born. From great victory to great loss, great failure, great discouragement, and literally a matter of just a few hours. What happens? What happens? We become weak. We become weak. We have weights. We have distractions. We have things in our life that keep us from fulfilling God's mission and purpose. And all of us deal with these. Uh, Paul talks, or the writer of Hebrew talks about this great cloud of witnesses. You know, in just a few verses before this, he talks about all these great men and women of faith. And as I begin to look through that list, I thought maybe I would help you to see that these people were just like us. Let's talk about Noah. The writer here talks about Noah being this great man of faith. But the Bible also tells us that Noah had a problem with drinking. Listen, if you're challenged with drinking today or some kind of addiction, Noah steps up out of the grandstand of heaven and wants you to know today that you can stop. Abraham. Father Abraham, the father of all those who believe, Abraham, this great man of faith, was also known to be a liar. He had a hard time telling the truth. Let's call Father Abraham out of the witness stand of heaven. Let's hear what he would have to say. Abraham would remind us today that every liar has the potential to tell the truth and can fulfill their destiny. Samson. Samson acknowledges that God's power can enable you to overcome your passion. See, he was a passionate man. He loved, he wrote that song way before the one guy wrote that song to all the girls I loved before. I mean, he was a lover of women. He had unbridled passion. But he also had a passion for God. But the Bible says that the end of Samson's life, his last act was greater than all the acts that he had done before as a man of God. What about Moses? Let's call Moses out of the grandstand of heaven. Moses had a problem with anger. You know the story. Moses is confronted. He sees a, 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 an Egyptian arguing with one of his fellow Jewish brethren. And he kills the Egyptian. And then he runs. He hides. He has an anger issue in his life. As he's leading the children of Israel, God tells him to smote the rock. He doesn't just smote it once. He strikes it twice in anger. Moses would come and tell us today, listen, I want to help you. God will help you control your anger. Gideon testifies that you can face your fears. David beckons that you can overcome the worst things that can happen in a human life. See, Abraham and all these men and women of God had to choose between staying with the familiar, the comfortable, the known, in order to receive their pride. They had to be called a friend of God. See, in order for you to accomplish, to finish the race, there's some things that you'll have to lay aside. There's some weights that you're going to have to put away. Uh, there's a, 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 tra- a travel blog, and the writer of the travel blog says this, Trip enjoyment is inversely proportionate to the amount of junk or d- re-distractions you bring with you. Trip enjoyment is inversely proportioned to the amount of junk you bring with you. 
you know, before the days of 9-11, man, you could just go to the airport. You could show up five minutes before a plane left. You're hauling all your stuff, running up there. No longer. Now they have what I call suitcase Nazis. <laughs> and they watch every person. And they even have these little kind of crate things or these little kind of boxes that you have to sometimes they you'll have somebody standing there and they'll say, oh, yours is too, let's see if yours is too big. And if it doesn't fit inside of there, they'll take it away from you and make you chuck it in. They're really, really particular today. You know, the fact is, is that the fact is, in many of our lives, we're carrying too much baggage. God says, get these things off of you. Get them away from you. See, it's easy to focus on the big things, but what about the internal things of the heart? Get rid of those things. Then he says, get rid of those things that so easily cling to you. See, every person in this room has a propensity to certain failures, certain sins, things that just seemingly keep popping up in your life. Yours might be the same as mine, but they might be different than mine. We all have them. All, all have sinned. All have fallen short. All are in need of the mercy and the grace of God. Here's the bottom line. There are no safe sins in my life or in your life. No safe sense. My prayer, when I was a young man, I prayed. I remember praying this prayer. For God, keep me from the sins of my father, David. Keep me from those sins. I, and I'm not saying that that can't happen in my life. The sins of David could happen in my life. That's for sure. It could happen in any of our lives if we let our guard down. I'm more concerned about the sins, the things that I've tolerated over the years. Those things taking control of my life. Those small things, those little attitudes, those words that I've just allowed freely to come out of my mouth, my judgments, my condemnations of other preachers and other ministers. I'm more concerned today. Those other things, absolutely, they can get a hold of me because I'm a man. I'm, I'm, I'm a fallen creature. I need the grace of God every day. If I don't guard my heart, if you don't guard your heart, we could all end up in places that we don't want to be. I've got to tell you today, there are no safe sins. So how do we do this? How do we throw off this excess weight that keeps us from our destiny? Number one, we must acknowledge that we have hindrances and unconquered sin in our life. Everyone here has stuff that God is refining. Everyone has areas that God is still working. There is no one righteous, no, not one. Every person here is in God's refinement factory. Every believer, every follower of Jesus, God has his hand in you. The second thing, you've got to believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead. And his resurrection power is enabled to free you from your worthless and sinful destructions. You've got to believe. Abraham believed, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. The just shall live by faith. You must believe that God's power is available for you. That same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He doesn't just live out there. The Bible says that He lives in here. He dwells in you and will strengthen, quick, and restore. Make new your physical body. Someone said, Amen. you got to call out to God. <laughs> you got to call out to God. you got to call out to God. You need God. I need God. Calling out to God on a daily basis. Oh, God. Call out to you. God, I need your grace. I need your strength. The Bible says the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Call unto me. I love Jeremiah 33. 30, 33. Call unto me and I will show you great in my things. Call out to God for help. Resist the devil. 
And he, the third, fourth thing is confess your faults or sins to another person. James 5.17 says it like this, confess your faults one to another. Every person here has to have someone in their life. Every person, every person. That's why we have this whole next step process. When you get saved, you get water baptized, and you go to membership, and, and you, you go to the, the discipleship class, and, and then you find yourself in a group. Every person here has to have a group of believers. Every person needs that in their life. Every person. You need that so you can confess your faults. I have a brother that I've been friends with for longer than I've been married. And we talk three, four, five times a week. He has... He's not even a pastor. He's a businessman. And we talk and we confess our sins. We pray for one another. And I've found there's so many times in my life that strength and encouragement that comes from knowing that there's another brother that I can tell my stuff to. I don't tell my stuff with everybody. I don't share my junk with everybody. But I have somebody in my life that I can confess my faults to. You must have someone in your life that you can confess your faults to. Finally, stay accountable. Keep yourself accountable. The reason you get connected with other believers is because when other believers are speaking into your life and you're working alongside, relationship grows. And then you begin to grow. You see, the second thing I want you to see this morning is you must stay in your race to finish. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Stay in your race. Uh, you can't live in anyone else's race. You can't live in your wife's race. You can't live in your kid's race. You can't, you can't live in your boss's race. And one of the most frustrating things to me on the Internet today is that all these preachers are trying to live in another preacher's race. I mean, they're out there. They're criticizing this guy for the way he said this, the way he did that. They're trying to live someone else's race. I'm like, listen, dude, just live your own race. Live your race. Run the race that God has for you. If you're going to run the race, you've got to know it's not easy. Isn't that right? Any runners here? I know we've got Doug over here. We've got some marathon people. Running isn't easy. Running takes a determination. As a matter of fact, if you run, you will experience some kind of discomfort. You'll experience discomfort. As a matter of fact, if you commit yourself to a certain distance, there's the decision that you make to overcome some dis- discomfort. Okay, let's just call it for what it is. You're going to experience some pain. You're going to experience pain. The Greek word, the Greek word for pain is agion. When Paul talks about this discomfort, this, he's talking about experiencing the pain. You must make a choice today. A young man was talking to me this week right here on campus. And, and he said, Pastor, he said, living this Christian life, he said, it's so hard. It's so hard. He said, it's hard to walk as a disciple of Jesus. Then he said, the decision to walk the right path takes a real man. Here's a man, he's had all kinds of struggles, all kinds of issues, years of addiction. And he's making a choice on a daily basis to be a follower of Christ. He said, Pastor, it's hard. And I said, you know what, it's never easy, but it's always good. It's never easy to do the purpose and the will of God, but it's the best choice. If you're going to have the best of your life, the rest of your life, you must make the decision to run your race. See, it's not a sprint. It's not, I'm going to you know, go to church Sunday, get it filled up a little bit, then go throughout the week, and you know, then run back to church on Sunday. It's not a Sunday to Sunday thing. This thing is a marathon. It's a daily thing. It's a perspective with eternity in mind. The decisions I make today will affect my destiny tomorrow. And I'm making decisions today that will impact my life 
not only for tomorrow, but for all eternity. I want you to see this picture of a woman. Uh, this happened in 1971. They, they, if you Google on the Internet people who have endured great things or hard things, this woman is listed in the top six things that, of people that have survived and that they've had to endure. Her name is Julianne Capecci, and she's from Germany. She was 17 years of age. She was on an airplane in, in, uh, in Peru with her mother. It was Christmas Eve. They were going to see her father. And uh, as they got up into the air, the plane was about 10,000 feet. Lightning struck one of the engines. The engine fell off, and the plane immediately spun out of control. I mean, not just spun out of control. It broke up in midair. She found herself at 10,000 feet, ejected from this plane. She was only strapped into her seat. And she tells how she was going down, and she blacked out. And she could hear the screams, and then she couldn't hear the screams. And then the next thing you know, she woke up, and she was laying in the Amazon forest. She was laying in the Amazon forest, and she was beat up pretty bad. She was bruised pretty bad. You know, and, and I mean, to, to fall out of an airplane 10,000 feet to live, I mean, that's a miracle. I said, that's a miracle. That's amazing. I mean, that's amazing within itself. But the, really, the amazing thing is what she did the next 10 days to survive. There is an incredibly strong will and desire for people to live. I mean, incredibly strong. For the next 10 days, she fought snakes alligators. She, she knew that if she could get to water and walk up to the water, she would eventually find some kind of community or town. Here she is in the middle of the Amazon River, the Amazon, and the Amazon forest. She goes up this river. She's got maggots that are starting to grow in her wounds. She actually had to dig the maggots out herself, out of her own flesh. And after ten days, they found her. She was still alive. It was one of the most amazing things. She endured. She endured. She made a decision. She wasn't just going to lay down. She had a purpose in mind. She wanted to live her life. See, the Bible says that God sets before us life. Deuteronomy says it like this. I command, the command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you to understand, and it's not beyond your reach. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. God, set, God sets before you a choice. And that choice this morning is to focus on Jesus. That choice this morning is to focus on Jesus. We can focus on all kinds of things. There's all kinds of distractions. Paul says, fixing our eyes or looking unto Jesus, the pioneer, the author, the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. In an article in Psychology Today, written just a couple of years ago, they talked about why is it so hard for us to focus? Why is it so hard for people to focus in the workplace? They did all these studies on all these corporations, and they found that the average employee had over 20 distractions in a one-hour period. They found productivity and efficiency in the workplace has gone down by two and a half hours in an eight-hour period. And they said the challenge, the reason, part of the reason is, is that there's a couple of things happening. The first thing that's causing people not to be able to focus is that there's just way too much information. There's way too many choices. There's so much information and so much to do that people don't even know where to start. The second thing is, is technological gadgets. Technolo people are on their Facebook. People are at work and they're cruising the internet. People are doing all kinds of things and they're easily distracted and they're finding that productivity has gone down in the American workplace. Focus. One of the hardest things in your life to do is to focus on a goal. There are so many distractions. There are so many temptations. And the Bible says to fix our focus on Jesus. 
He's the author, the initiator, the beginning, beginner, the instigator of your faith. You didn't come to Jesus. Jesus came to you. <laughs> Jesus came to you. In Revelation, he says, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. Knocks on your door. If you're a believer today, you're a follower of Christ because God came to you. He loves you today. I want you to fix your focus on Him. So many distractions in our culture today. So much stuff, so much entertainment, so much food, so much money, so much sexual perversion. All these things become distractions in our life. Here's the deal, guys. Here's the deal. To Here's the deal. Here's how you stay. Here's how you stay focused on Jesus. When I was 22 years of age, I was working with my dad. My dad was a painter. We were painting a house. I was just home from Bible college. And I was driving down the road with my father. I said, Dad, I said, there's one spiritual thing in your life that, you know, you really feel like is the most important thing for you. What would it be? He looked at me. He didn't even miss. I mean, he just, without missing a beat, he just looked at me. He said, on my tombstone, I want them to say, Gene Smith was a friend of God. He was a friend of God. Today, if you're going to keep your focus on Jesus, you've got to be a friend of Jesus. You've got to talk to him like, you're, like he's your friend. You've got to talk to him. You've got to talk to him all the time. You've got to talk to him. I mean, relationship is about communion, about fellowship. He loves you. He loves you today. He loves you. He cares about you. I love that verse in John where Jesus said, You're no longer my servants. I now call you my friend. The Bible says that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He will never leave you, never forsake you. The second thing is, you've got to study his life and his ministry and his teachings. You've got to know his word. Here's the deal. This book is the only thing that will keep you from sin. This book is the only thing that will keep you from sin. And sin is the only thing that will keep you from this book. Did you hear that today? This book is the only thing that will keep you from sin. Sin is the only thing that will keep you from this book. How do you know Jesus? How do you know His will? He's laid out His plan. He's told us how to live the best life. He's told us He's encouraged us. He's exhorted us. He's commanded us. The promises of the Lord are yes and amen to them that believe. Finally, you just got to be willing to do it. Like Nike says, you just have to be willing to do Is it easy? It's never easy. Is it worth it? Absolutely. I want you to close your eyes. Throw off unnecessary distractions. How do you live your best life in 2014? There's some things that you just got to throw off. They're not even, there's some things that in your life that aren't necessarily bad, but they're just distractions. And there might be, there might be someone in the room who's got some things you know of that are just not right. And you need God's grace to help you overcome. This is your year. This is your year. This is your year. This is the day of new beginnings. God does care. He is a deliverer. He's never changed. What about you today? What about you today? Are you running your race to win? Are you living daily to accomplish the mission, the purpose for which God has called you? Is your focus on Jesus? Is your focus on Jesus? It's easy to get weary and tired. It's easy to get distracted. Maybe you're here today, you just you need a fresh infilling of God's Holy Spirit. You're here today. I want you to know that the rest of your 2014 can be the best of 
God really is for you. But you have your part in it. You have your part. You've got to cast off. You've got to run your own race. You've got to run the race to win. You've got to keep your focus right. You've got to keep your focus right. You're here today. Take just a moment. Why don't you just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you? What's keeping you from running the race to win? What would God say today? What God said. You're here today and you have a weight. You have a weight. It's just it's a distraction. It might not even be a gross sin, but it might be a gross sin. I don't know. But you want to cast it off in your life in 2014. If that's you, could you raise your hand? Right now in this room. Anyone in this room? There's no one looking. Amen. All right. You're in this room and you've just, you, you're not running the race. You've gotten weary and tired and it's found it difficult. You want to get back on track. You want to run your race that God has for you in 2014. If that's you, can you just lift your hand up right now? How about focus? Anyone here? Just you've lost focus of Christ and the challenges of life. You want to refocus in 2014. Is that you? Could you raise your hand? Could you stand with me this morning? By faith, Abraham left his hometown. By faith, Abraham took a step to live the purpose that God had for him. When God called Abraham, Abraham said, yes, Lord. And he took that next step. There's something powerful about taking steps. Abraham took a physical step. He moved from where he was and he went to another community. I'm not asking you to move to another community, but I'm asking you to take a step of faith. I'm asking you to come and join me. You raised your hand. I'm asking you to come and join me right here at these altars. They're going to turn the house lights down. I want you right now, you raise your hand. You know today you got to wait. You've lost focus. You haven't been looking at Jesus the way you should. I want you, if you raise your hand, I want you to come and join me right here in the altar. Let's now make this long. Come, come this morning.